Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for the many ways that we have to, um, to tell your story. God, we pray that you would help us to tell it, to tell it well, to tell it often, to tell it to those who need to be reminded of it over and over again, and to tell it to those who need to hear it for the first time. God, we thank you for your word. I know this uh, morning we ask that you would help us to hear it, to hear your word that you have given for our good and our benefit. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to benefit this morning as we hear it, read and proclaimed. God, that it would be like seed that lands in good soil, that grows and bears much fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning is Mark chapter 6, verses 17 uh, through 29. And this is picking up a bit of where we left off last week, so we're going to skip back just a bit to verse 17, which I know we already read, but it helps make sense of the whole thing. As for Herod himself had given orders to have John, it's John the Baptist, arrested And he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you, up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her, and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Turning into our New Testament reading, Galatians 1, 1 through 10. Paul writing to the church in Galatia. It's this, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ, And God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us 
from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. I'm going to need you to put your bulletins away for a second. I know. Normally, you like to have them out. Um, but right now, we need to put them away because I'm going to give you a pop quiz of something that we've already covered this morning that is written in your bulletin, and I don't want any peeking. No cheating here. In our call to worship this morning. Oh, I had it marked. There we go. In our call to worship, we were uh, looking at a passage from 2 Corinthians 5, and I want to read that again, but I'm going to leave some blanks in there. Don't shout it out if you know the answer yet. Let me get through the whole thing first, and then I'll ask if you know what the word is. No peeking. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who blanked us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of blank. That God was blank, the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of blank. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though we were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be blanked to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I read a little farther than the um, the call to worship went. Does anybody know what that blank was filled with, whether in noun form or verb form? What is the word that we're looking for here reconcile right reconcile reconciled reconciliation those are the that's the word that shows up again and again and again and again in this passage this is what god has done for us in christ he has reconciled us to himself he has done this uh reconciling uh yeah that in that god was reconciling the world to himself in christ not counting people's sins against them And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And this is what we are ambassadors of. This is what it is that we are uh, sharing with people is this good news of Jesus making people right with God again. It is amazing how easy it is to forget that this is the message that we have to share. It is amazing how easy it is to um, major on the minors (laughs) and just completely forget the major thing. And so uh, we kind of have it in our 
in our own perspective these days that what Jesus has called us to is to be some sort of culture warriors. It's not in there. And it, as though he has called us all as a church to be a, uh, a wing of modern-day American politics. That's not what he's called us to. But again and again, he calls us to love one another. And again and again, he talks about this message of reconciliation, that we have been reconciled to God and we are to be reconciled to one another and that we are to share this good news of reconciliation between God and people, not counting people's sins against them. And over and over it says that, and we kind of shove all that to the side and go, I don't know about that. We'll do these other things that we can make a case for. But this morning, we're looking at uh, reconciliation and how this is, we're going to see a picture of this all the way back from Genesis. That this is uh, kind of what it looks like when people are made right again, when people's sins aren't counted against them. This is Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. This is uh, right on the heels of where we left off last week. This is uh, what we saw last week was Judah willing to lay down his life for his brother, Benjamin, and saying, you can keep me as your slave, let him go free. And we looked at that as kind of this picture of, uh, of Jesus laying down his life for us. This is uh, in the context, you don't know who Benjamin and Judah are. These are brothers of Joseph. These are sons of uh, Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, uh, whose dad was Isaac, whose dad was Abraham. And God had promised to bless the whole world through this family. And generation after generation, we've seen that not happening so much. And then we get down to uh, his, Jacob's 12 sons. And the majority of them gang up on Joseph and sell him as a slave to Egypt when he's 17 years old. He is now, oh, around 39, 40-ish. And um, there has been a whole <laughs> winding road of his story as he goes down to Egypt and then is wrongly accused and is down in prison but God is still with him and raises him up through a series of dreams to be at the right hand of Pharaoh himself and providing for not only the people of Egypt, but also all the surrounding areas, including his own brothers who, when they are facing a famine, have to go to Egypt and actually appear before Joseph, not recognizing him. He recognizes them. He does this whole series of... Um, <laughs> strange scheme in order to figure out if they are still who they were all those years ago or if they have come to recognize the wrong that they have committed. They do. And this is what we looked at last week is not only do they recognize it, but when given the opportunity to repeat that wrong, they don't take that route. So when given the opportunity to uh, sell, their, to have their younger brother go into prison, not just their younger brother, but their favorite brother, that brother that their dad loves more than anyone else among them, they could have him go to, uh, 
be a slave in Egypt, and they don't take it. They don't take that, um, that opportunity, but instead, Judah says, no, 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 take me instead. Putting himself forward, laying down his own life for the good of his brother. And uh, this is the point where we pick up the story because this is the point where Joseph can't keep it up anymore. He has been pretending that he is just an Egyptian official, that he's not actually their brother. He has been uh, pretending that he thinks they're spies, pretending all these things, and he just can't anymore. Here's where we pick up the story. Chapter 45, verses 1 to 15. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Pause. Why are they terrified? Afraid of what he's going to do. Why are they afraid of what he's going to do? Because of what they did to him. They know what they did, and they know um, that if, (laughs) if they get justice from him, if they get what they deserve, it's not going to be good. And they also know that he is in a position to do that to them. That here Joseph is, they had uh, sold him off to slavery in Egypt, never to be seen again, presumed dead at this point. And you know what? We feel bad about it. Kind of wish we hadn't done it, but what's done is done. And we just move on. And now what they did all those years ago They have to face it. They are standing face to face with what they did wrong. And the very person that they have wronged is now in the position uh, to (laughs) treat them harshly. And so they're terrified. Joseph said to his brothers, oh no. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Uh, I'm sure. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Oh, we're kind of hoping he forgot about that. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it, really, that it is really I who am speaking to you. 
Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. That's where we're going to stop the reading for this um, this week. We will pick up the story as we go forward. But do you hear what's happening here? That Joseph, who is now in this perfect position to get revenge, and not only is he in the perfect position to get revenge on his brothers, but he has, uh, he's had time. He's had time to think it over. He has sent them back to Canaan. They've come back again. Um, he has come up with all these other uh, elaborate schemes as to how to handle the situation. And so he's had time to think it over. If he wanted to do something to them, harsh, oh, he could. And you have to wonder how many nights um, when he first went down to Egypt that he spent laying awake dreaming up what he would do if he ever saw them again. (laughs) And here he is seeing them again, having the opportunity. And what he does is welcomes them back, welcomes them back as his brothers, welcomes them back as family again. Pop quiz. Do they deserve it? Do they deserve to be welcomed back? No. No, they don't. They sold him as a slave to... Who sells their brother as a slave uh, to Egypt? This is what they did. And he went through some really rough times as a result of that. I mean, really rough times as a result of that. And so, yeah, from a human perspective, you look at this and go, you can't just let that go. You got to make them pay. (laughs) And they think so too. That's why they're terrified. But that's not the way that he handles the situation at all. And what he does, weeping multiple times, <laughs> hugging, kissing, it, and it is this same kind of picture of what we see in that parable we call the prodigal son. When the son comes home, does he deserve to be welcomed back? No, that's the problem the older brother has. He doesn't deserve it. It's not fair. It's not right. You can't just let him come back in like this. And from a human perspective, it's right. But Jesus tells this parable because he's pointing out that our human perspective isn't the only perspective. And that often our human perspective is too short-sighted. And we miss a lot. And it is, um, there is another perspective. And this seems to be what Joseph has here because he has, as I say, he's had time <laughs> to process this whole thing. He's had time to reflect. And when he looks at the whole situation, he recognizes that, yes, his brother's did things that were wrong. 
but that God's hand has also been at work through the whole thing. And that all of the wrong things that people can do cannot outdo the good that God is doing. Joseph sees this in his own life, that yes, his brothers did him wrong. They did what they should not have done. But, he says, when he looks back at the whole thing, he doesn't hold it against them at all because he sees how God was able to use what, he had, or what, what they did. In fact, he even says, uh, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And again in verse 7, God sent me ahead of you to prepare for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He sees God's hand through all of the uh, misfortune he has faced and how God has been still with him in everything, providing for him and not just for him and his good, but actually for the good of the very brothers who wronged him. It is mind-blowing to think how God would use the brothers selling Joseph into Egypt to save their lives from the famine later. Isn't that bizarre? That if they don't sell him into slavery, they don't have food to eat later. So does that mean they were supposed to sell him? That that was a good thing? No. (laughs) No. And it's the same thing we look at with uh, Judas selling Jesus. And we say, was that a good thing? No, not a good thing at all. And yet, Every year we refer to the, uh, the Friday that Jesus died as Good Friday. How bizarre. And that all has to do with which perspective we're looking at things um, with. And so you have kind of this human perspective of uh, this is the right thing to be doing. This is the wrong thing to be doing. If you're doing the wrong thing, that's it. It's just wrong. If you're doing the right thing, that's it. It's just right. And as it turns out, it's a bit more complicated than that. That all the wrong that is done is still done under the sovereignty of God who rules over everything and allows um, people to do some really horrible things. Really horrible things. And because he is uh, over all, and because he is good, sometimes we're tempted to say, well, because God is good and he's over all, then those things must not really happen. They must not be things that are really bad in this world. It must all be, you know, just little things here and there. No, there are some really, really bad things. Or the other uh, extreme is to look at it and say, because there are really bad things, God must not be over all or he must not be good. No, no, that's not it either. But what we see is God allowing things to happen that he is able to use for things we would never imagine. And this is where um, 
Jesus' disciples didn't understand it. Jesus said he's going to go to the cross, he's going to die, and Peter tries to pull him aside and say, no, 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 no. And what does Jesus say? You're not thinking of this from the perspective of God. You're thinking about this from just a human perspective. You do not have in mind, as he says, um, the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. It's natural. It's how we do things. But Jesus says there's another way to look at things. There's another perspective. Even when it comes um, to Jesus um, dying on the cross. Peter still doesn't get it. They get to the Garden of Gethsemane, and as Jesus is being arrested, Peter pulls out a sword to fight to defend Jesus. Ends up cutting off a guy's ear. Not the best attack strategy, but most likely he was trying to go for the whole head. The guy ducks or whatever. It's dark. It's hard to see. Anyway. But his response makes sense from a human perspective. They're coming to get you. I'm not going to let that happen. I will fight to defend you. And Jesus says, no. Again, thinking about this from the wrong perspective. There is another perspective. And it is so um, unnatural to us that we do have this kind of instinctive, knee-jerk reaction to this kingdom perspective that Jesus talks about just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like the way that you could win in this world. We want to win. And what uh, Jesus continues to point out and what Joseph uh, points out is it may not be the way to win in this world. It may not be natural. In fact, it's supernatural. And it is a way... um, to be a part of the kingdom that is coming. That when all of the world is made right again, it will be the way things are. And in the meantime, God still uses these seemingly unnatural ways to advance his kingdom. Here and now. And so when we look at uh, Joseph, we get kind of two pictures with this um, reunion with his brothers, this reconciliation. First, we get this picture of Jesus who welcomes us, though we don't deserve it. Who is not counting our sins against us, as Second Corinthians says. This is what Joseph shows us in having his brothers there before. He doesn't hold their sins against them. Did they do wrong? Yes. But he's like, but God is taking care of that. I don't need to make you pay. I am glad to have my brothers as my brothers. And we're not going to let that stand between us anymore. 
it's a picture. The same kind of welcome that we have between us and God. This is what Jesus makes possible. As we come before God, and if we are actually aware of our sin, we should be terrified. On the other hand, Romans 8 tells us there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That in Jesus, we have that same welcome that the prodigal son has with his father. The father who runs out to meet him and not holding his sin against him. Did he do wrong? Yes. He, uh, he did terrible things to his uh, father, to his family, to himself. He doesn't hold it against him, but welcomes him home. Glad to have his son as his son again. So it is that picture uh, for us of the welcome that we do not deserve, but in Christ that we do receive. And it's also a picture of how we are to welcome others who don't deserve it. People who are also our brothers and sisters created in the image of God and who, just like us, have done things um, they should not have done, who don't deserve um, forgiveness. And yet, as we looked um, in Second Corinthians, we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors of this message of reconciliation. And that doesn't just mean telling people about how God has uh, forgiven their sin, though that is <laughs> part of what that's about. But it's also about us as forgiven people being forgiving people. Do you ever feel like forgiveness as a Christian is optional? Read what Jesus says in Matthew um, 6 when he's teaching on prayer. In Matthew 18 when he's teaching on forgiveness. I think that's right. And it is, it is not something that he describes as being optional. Yeah. Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant. And he concludes it by saying, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's not optional in the kingdom. And the reason it's not optional is because it's what the kingdom is based on. We don't get in unless we're forgiven. And so we come in on the terms of forgiveness. And therefore, if this is what the kingdom is about, then that is who we have to be. Does that mean it's easy? No. 
Does that mean we pretend like the things that people do aren't wrong? No. <laughs> Does that mean we let people continue uh, to do horrible things? No. But it does mean, as far as we're able, that we're not people who hold grudges. We're not people who say, so-and-so has to pay before I will be able to have a relationship with them. They did me wrong in this way, and until they do this, 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 and this, which can never actually be done because I'm so committed to my grudge, they're dead to me. Instead of being the people who go around explaining to everyone else in the world how so-and-so has done us wrong just so everybody else can be as mad at them as we are, we've given a different perspective. We're given a different picture. This is... um, in Second Corinthians again, this is how Paul began that whole section. It's from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. The worldly point of view is, if you do me wrong, I make you pay. So if we're not going to regard anyone from a worldly point of view, he says, though we once regarded Christ in this way. That was the problem Peter had, remember? <laughs> thinking of things in merely human terms, even with Christ. If we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Why not? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And so the, uh, the call for us is to believe that the old has gone, the new is here, and so to live in the new, not in the old. The old ways are familiar. They're natural. They're normal. But we're not called to be normal. We're called to be ambassadors of a different kingdom. If, um, and if we forget what that looks like, Think back to Joseph. Who, though he was wronged by his brothers, welcomes them back completely. Welcomes them back, not holding their sin against them, but with such great joy of having them back as his brothers that he weeps and weeps and weeps. He's not grudgingly, well, okay, I guess I'll take you back. He is glad to have them back. He's providing for them. Let me bring you into the best land. Let me continue to provide for you. This is what reconciliation uh, looks like. The brothers admit their sin, admit their wrongdoing. Joseph admits that, yes, they did what was wrong, but doesn't hold it against them. Let's be those who follow this example. That as forgiven people, we would be forgiving people. That as people who live as a part of the kingdom of God, we would be good ambassadors for what the kingdom of God actually is about.
Let's remind ourselves, each other, and the world once again about the good news of Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for your word that you've given to us. And God, we do, um, we do know that it is not what comes naturally to us to follow your way. And we can think of all kinds of people that we... Um, that we have a hard time forgiving because we know they don't deserve it. Lord, we ask that you would remind us of the mercy you have for us. Remind us of the welcome that you give us when we don't deserve it. And help us to trust you to deal with others in your own holiness and righteousness. Help us to trust you enough to follow your way. We pray this all in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.